going to be reading from Ecclesiastes 7, verses 1 through 29. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than it is to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is the house of mourning is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges itself in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. In the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is a, not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes.
So before we dismiss the kids, in case you weren't here last week, uh, I have a quick announcement. You know, we were searching um, all last year for uh, youth and children's ministry staff. And so we believe that through that search process, God led us to a wonderful uh, family, an incredible family that's actually been part of our church family for uh, five or six years now, the Barigas. So Jesse and Joe, I'm going to have you guys stand up and just wave. I want especially the kids to look at Jesse and Joe. They have served on staff at Lake Wabisa Bible Camp for the last five years, and they are joining our ministry team in youth and children's ministry, and we are excited about you guys being here. Um, okay, so uh, we are going to dismiss the kids up through fifth grade to go to Lakeview Kids uh, right now, and parents, if you want to go down with them, you can, but otherwise, just send them on out into the lobby. <laughs> And we will turn to the sunny book of Ecclesiastes. All right. Uh, As we get into this passage in Ecclesiastes 7, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes this summer. It's our summer sermon series. And um, let's set up the, the chapter this way. Imagine that God came to you with a choice. Could it be a vision, could be a dream, whatever. Uh, but God came to you and he said, I am going to bless you and give you something. And you get to choose what it is. And here are your options. You can choose a long life, great wealth. You'll always win no matter what you do. Or wisdom. God, and it's not a trick question. It's not like if you choose the wrong answer, God's going to say, you chose wrong. Now you're damned to hell for eternity. No, God says, I'll, I'll give you whatever it is that you ask. You get to choose, and I'm going to dump bucket loads of it into your life. What would you choose? Well, we all know that the socially acceptable answer in this church context is wisdom. Of course, that would be the right choice. Every good Sunday school kid would raise their hand and probably say Jesus, who's not on the list. But, you know, <clears throat> wisdom, right? That's the right answer in our context. But think about it for a minute without thinking through what is the socially acceptable answer. Think about where your heart really is. What would you choose? Uh, Solomon chose wisdom. Uh, and that's no surprise to us, but you can read about this story in 1 Kings chapter 3. God actually came to Solomon and, and said this. He, he said, I'm going to bless you. What do you want? I'm going to give you whatever it is that you want. And Solomon said, you know, I'm the new king of Israel and I don't know how to lead your people. Please give me wisdom. And God said, because you chose wisdom, I'm also, in addition to wisdom, I'm also going to give you a long life, great wealth, and all of your enemies will be defeated. So he he actually got all of the above uh, by choosing wisdom. Solomon loved wisdom. That's no surprise. He was the wisest man who lived. Solomon wrote this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. He said, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. She is more precious, sorry, she is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. All right, Solomon loved wisdom and he saw the value of wisdom and and that's no surprise we also value wisdom today what do we tell our kids in school work hard study hard get good grades 
get a scholarship, go to college, get a good education. Your wisdom and knowledge and experience and skills that you pick up will take care of you the rest of your life. So apply yourself. Use all of your brains and get all that knowledge and wisdom. Right? We value this. And so did Solomon. So I was, I was shocked when I read in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 16 that Solomon also wrote this. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? How could Solomon write, don't make yourself too wise, when he also wrote, wisdom is more valuable than jewels and silver and gold and nothing you can desire can compare with her? How how does that square? I mean, wisdom is a good thing, right? So why would Solomon say, Don't make yourself too wise. What's he doing? I think Ecclesiastes 7, it seems on the surface like a whole hodgepodge collection of random sayings. But if you start zooming out to look at the big picture, I think this is the point that Solomon's making in Ecclesiastes 7. Uh, Wisdom is a good thing, except when it's a bad thing. (laughs) Wisdom does have great value, except when it's worthless. And and as we go through, he shows us the benefits and the advantages and the value of wisdom, but he also shows us the limitations and the shortcomings and the disadvantages of wisdom. Because wisdom, just like anything else, can be vain in its pursuit. And that's the point of Ecclesiastes is the vanity of life. So what we're going to do is we're going to to, uh, jump our way through Ecclesiastes 7 And we're going to see two advantages and two disadvantages of wisdom that Solomon has identified in the vanity of wisdom. The first thing that we're going to look at is is advantages to wisdom. And Solomon very clearly says there are advantages to wisdom. Verse 11 of chapter 7, he says, Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So yes, wisdom has advantages and value and benefits. And here are two. Solomon identifies a lot of advantages of wisdom in chapter 7. Let's just look at two of them. The first one is this. Wisdom understands that life is limited. Therefore, life is precious. Life is short. Therefore, it has great value. Wisdom understands this. See, in chapter 7, verse 1, he writes, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Our days are limited. Our life is short, and the limited number of days that we will live make each day a precious one. That's what wisdom understands. Do you know what makes precious gemstones and precious metals so valuable? Is that they're rare. If gold and silver were so common that we would pave our driveways with them, well, gold and silver wouldn't be worth all that much. It's that they're rare. It's that the gemstones are rare. You don't find them just every day scattered on the ground like gravel. That's what makes them precious and valuable. And, we, and you are precious and valuable because you are very rare. You are a limited edition. In fact, there's only one of you. The song we sang, eight billion people, right? 
and there's only one of you. You're a limited edition. You're precious, you're valuable, you're rare. And be, your rarity makes you uh, priceless in God's kingdom and in God's heart. And not only are, are you a limited edition, but each one of your days is numbered. And your life will eventually come to an end. The inevitability of death is one of the main themes that runs throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Death is reality. We all will die someday. So the wise person recognizes this and says life is precious. See, wisdom says in view of the limited nature of life, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life through frivolous partying. Chapter 7, verse 4, he says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Don't waste your life chasing one party after the next, living an endless party life. That is a waste of the limited amount of time that we have. Now, Solomon doesn't say you should never have a good time. No, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 said there's a time for rejoicing and there's a time for sorrow. There's a time for laughter and there's a time for weeping, right? There's a time to rejoice and celebrate and there's a time not to. And he says the people that spend their lives chasing one party after the next, chasing one experience after the next, trying to do that, they come to the end of their lives and they realize I have not spent my limited years to do anything of substance or value. Don't waste your life. Your life is precious because it's limited. Don't waste it through endless partying or don't waste it by living in the past. See, chapter 7, verse 10, he says, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Don't talk about, oh, the good old days. The good old days really weren't as good as we remember them. And even if they were great, there's a Chinese proverb that says, you can't step into the same river twice. They're gone. Even if the good old days were as good as we think they were, we're not having them back. You can't, you can't move ahead with what God has for you in life if you're constantly looking back at the past, longing for the good old days, looking at life in the past through the rose-colored glasses of nostalgia and thinking, oh, if I could only get back to those good old days, right? You can't, uh, you can't go into the promised land if you're constantly turning around looking longingly at Egypt, just wanting to go back and get a quick drink from the Nile River, and then, and then we'll go back through the wilderness to the prom- No, you can't do that. Jesus is walking ahead of us on the path. And if we want to follow Jesus, we have to keep our eyes forward on him. We can't constantly be reaching back for what lies behind, right? Don't get stuck in the past. That's a waste of our lives. Instead, begin with the end in mind and take life seriously. See verse 8? Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. We thought that Stephen Covey coined the phrase begin with the end in mind in his book Seven Habits. Actually, Solomon came up with that idea about 3,000 years earlier, (laughs) right? Begin with the end in mind. Okay, life is limited. What do I want my life to be at the end? Now, how can I spend each day intentionally and wisely to accomplish those things? so that I'm taking life seriously and I'm not wasting it. I meet with uh, some guys for discipleship and a growth group um, each week and we were talking about how can we walk more intentionally with Christ and we decided that we were going to each of us write uh, a rule of life. 
our own rule of life. And, and a rule of life is basically an intentional plan for how we are going to stay connected to Christ and love God and love people and make disciples. How are we going to do that intentionally? Because if we just wake up each day and kind of wander aimlessly through the day, probably I'm not going to stay very connected to Christ. Probably I'm not going to love God well. I'm probably not going to love others well. And I'm probably not going to make disciples well. We need to be intentional about them. I don't want to waste any of my, I don't want to get to the end of the day and say, oh, I could have, I could have spoken a, an encouraging word here. I could have uh, pointed someone to Christ here. I could have uh, deepened a relationship here. I could have spent some time with the Lord here, but I didn't. I, I watched too much Netflix today or whatever it might have been. Right? I don't want to waste my life. We don't want to waste our lives. So th- we are going to write out a rule of life an intentional plan for how we will love God, love people, and make disciples and keep God at the center of our lives because life is limited. Therefore, life is precious and we want to take it seriously. Another advantage of wisdom uh, from chapter 7 in Ecclesiastes is that wisdom understands adversity is unavoidable, yet adversity produces the greatest growth. Just like death is inevitable, adversity is unavoidable. It will come in life. That's a reality. That's a main theme throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And so the wise person responds accordingly. Chapter 7, verse 3, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. He's talking about here uh, that, that we often learn more from our failures and mistakes than we do from our successes. We often learn more by being presented with an obstacle that we must overcome than by coasting easily through life. Friday night, um, we did a youth group camp out here on the church lawn, tent camping. And initially, I had thought about having all the tents dropped off early and then getting them all set up so that when the students got here, all they had, they just run and play and have a good time. And then we changed our minds and decided we're going to have the kids set the tents up. They've got to figure out how to, and, and so we had all these different tents and some of them had instructions and some of them didn't. Um, and we split the kids up into groups and they started setting up their tents and they did a fantastic job. And there were some bumps along the way, but everybody had a tent, even if it was a little lopsided at some point. Everybody slept dry in the tent, and it was great. And they learned something by the challenge. It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than the song of fools. Every single person who is competing in the Olympic Games is there because they heard the rebuke of a wise coach somewhere along the way in their training right? You're not doing that right. You don't have the right form. We've gone over this a hundred times. Get it right. Do it again. Run a little farther. Go a little faster. Try a little harder. You're not quite there, right? They heard the rebuke of a wise coach. We learn more from the rebuke of a wise coach than we do from the empty praise of overprotective parents, right? We sometimes need the correction. Now, we need the positive reinforcement. There's value in that, and there's a place for that, but we also need to be corrected when we don't get it quite right, because we learn from adversity and challenge. That's wisdom. We can't control adversity, but we can control our response to it. Look at chapter 7, verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger 
lodges in the heart of fools. We can't control the adversity, but we can control how we respond to the adversity. And the wise person says, I'm going to choose to be patient, to be humble, and to grow through this adversity. I'm going to learn from my mistakes. I'm going to overcome the challenge and be better for it. The fool gets angry and upset and sits down and throws a pity party. The wise person rises to the challenge and overcomes. That's wisdom. So there are advantages to wisdom. There are more advantages than those two in Ecclesiastes 7. Those are the two that I picked. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit and shift to the disadvantages of wisdom. Wisdom has great value, but wisdom also has shortfalls. And one of those disadvantages is that wisdom can lead to pride. Look at, uh, look at verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this and from that not withhold your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out with both of them. Wisdom has benefits It also has limitations. And what Solomon is getting at in that passage is the pride of refusing to accept the limitations that God has placed on mortal human beings. You can't, can't, no matter how much wisdom and knowledge you obtain, you can't make crooked what God has made straight. You can't make yourself so holy and righteous that you evolve beyond sin. Doesn't work. Solomon says, look, look there's, a, there's a limit to what wisdom can accomplish. And trying to step over the limitations, refusing to accept what God has placed as boundaries on human beings, that's pride. Sometimes we, we in, our, in our advancement and our education and our knowledge and our wisdom, we think we have evolved beyond, we have progressed beyond this old book written thousands of years ago that's so out of touch with modern day life, right? Oh, there's a lot of stuff in here that of course doesn't apply to our world anymore. We've progressed beyond that. Solomon says, stop being prideful. There's a limit to wisdom. No matter how much you try, you can't transgress its boundaries. It's a vain pursuit. That's what he's talking about in verses 23 and 24. He says, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? For all of our wisdom, for all of our progress, for all of our education, for all of our advancement, for all of our technology, for all of our science, we still cannot make straight what God has made crooked. We still can't control the vast majority of life and we never will because there are limitations on wisdom. When we transgress those limitations, it's nothing but pride. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. He said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The more knowledge we gain, the more we often struggle with pride. I know that from firsthand experience. 
I've gone to college, I've gone to seminary, I have a master's degree, I'm a geek, I love to learn, I'm always reading all the time, I'm always listening to podcasts, I'm always putting more knowledge into my head, and the more I learn, the more my heart struggles with pride. It just is true. And I have to constantly remind myself, I don't know it all, lots of people are smarter than me. It doesn't matter how much wisdom or how much knowledge we have if we're prideful. It's not a benefit or value to anyone. This is a disadvantage of wisdom. It can puff us up and lead to pride. Another disadvantage of wisdom. Wisdom cannot eradicate sin. Can't do it. No matter how wise we get, we cannot evolve beyond sin. We're still sinful human beings. See verse 19. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Great advantages to wisdom, great value to wisdom, more than 10 rulers in a city. Yet, verse 20, very next sentence, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Doesn't get much more clear than that. Wise man through wisdom has more strength than 10 rulers in a city, but yet he's still a sinner, still fallen short of God's glory. Goes on in verse 21 to say, Do not take heart to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Right? What he's saying is look, no matter how wise you are, no matter how many verses you've memorized, no matter how many Bible studies you've gone through, no matter how many papers you've written, no matter how much theology you know, don't think that you are better than other people. Don't get all holier than thou in your judgment of other people. I can't believe that person said that about me. Well, just yesterday, I said that about that person over there. Right? That's what you, you're a sinner too. I'm a sinner too. We're all sinners. We need God's grace. We're all united in the reality that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul said in Romans 3.23. Uh, one of the pastors I know uh, was a great friend to me in years past is named Brian Bill. And he says, don't look down your nose at people who sin differently than you do. Because you sin too. I mean, your sin's different than theirs. And I think, well, well, their sin's more visible and obvious to other people than mine, so I'm better than them. No, maybe I'm just smarter at hiding it. Or maybe it's just sneakier in my heart. But I'm a sinner too. So we need to be humble. Wisdom and knowledge and learning cannot eradicate sin. That's the, the conclusion Solomon came to at the very end of chapter 7, verse 29. He said, see, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, even the wise are sinners. Wisdom can oftentimes lead to pride and wisdom cannot eradicate sin. Yes, it has many advantages, but it has some disadvantages too. So Solomon's conclusion is that wisdom is a good thing, except when it's a bad thing. Wisdom has many, uh, much value in our lives, but, but sometimes it can produce self-righteous arrogance and that is of no value whatsoever. That's not an advantage at all. In fact, that's a disadvantage. That does more harm than good. It's vanity. It's nothing more than pride and folly masquerading as angels of light to trick us. That kind of wisdom is meaningless. 
So what do we do? How do we pursue uh, the kind of wisdom that is good and avoid the kind of wisdom that is vanity? Well, Solomon doesn't really tell us that in Ecclesiastes 7. He kind of implies the answer, but he leaves it up to us to meditate through that passage and come to our own conclusion. Uh, But Jesus' brother James picked up where Solomon left off. If you look in the New Testament, the book of James, chapter 3, verse 13, here's what he wrote. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, there is a wisdom that comes down from above, a heavenly wisdom, and there is a wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. One wisdom leads to life. The other wisdom leads to death. One wisdom leads to the good life. The other wisdom leads to vanity and James picks up on Solomon's chapter 7 and he says pursue the wisdom that comes down from above who or what is the wisdom that comes down from above it's Jesus Jesus is the embodiment of God's wisdom that came down Jesus came and he said look wisdom cannot eradicate sin that's that conclusion was drawn by Solomon thousands of years ago but guess who did eradicate sin Jesus Jesus broke the power of sin through his death and resurrection on the cross so Jesus says come to me and I will break the power of sin in your life and then I will show you how to walk every day in the wisdom that comes from God godly wisdom heavenly wisdom that reveals itself in the good works that come from humility. Humility that comes from wisdom. Good works like being pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. This is the kind of wisdom that comes from God. This is the kind of wisdom that has great value and produces the good life. And this is the invitation that Jesus gives. See, Jesus' invitation is not just repeat this prayer after me and now go live your life however you want and you'll have the good life. No, Jesus says, look, you're walking on this path that leads to death and nothing and I am inviting you to walk a different path, to live a different life, a life of godly wisdom that is fruitful and meaningful. And you can start that path today by coming to Jesus and turning around from the other path and walking behind Jesus every step of the way, each day, one day at a time. Now, I don't know if, if you're like me, but when I'm walking the path with Jesus, sometimes there's a side path over here and it looks like it might be a shortcut. And I'm tempted to step off and start walking that shortcut. And sometimes I do. And I leave the path of wisdom and I, and I start wandering on my own. And Jesus is right there. He, he was right there behind me. And no matter how many steps I take away from him, 
it's one step back, and then he leads me back to the path of life, and he walks me along the way of wisdom, the good life, the eternal life. This is the invitation that he gives. The good life is not just something we'll experience someday in the future, thousands of years from now, but it's something that we live each day with Christ right now as we walk in godly wisdom. Wisdom is a good thing when it comes from Christ. It's a bad thing when we make it all about self and vain ambition. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for uh, speaking through your Holy Spirit to Solomon uh, and inspiring the words in Ecclesiastes. Thank you for sending your son, not just to break the power of sin. I'm so thankful that you did that for us, Lord Jesus. You triumphed over the powers of evil and death and sin and made a public spectacle of them on the cross. And you also showed us the very embodiment of truth and wisdom and love. And you are inviting us to come and be your apprentices to learn under you what it means to live a life of godly wisdom and love, love of God and love of others. Lord Jesus, would you invite us to continue walking that path if we're already on it? Would you invite those who have not yet stepped onto that path to make that decision today? And if someone here has has wandered off in some area of their life, whether at work or at home or in in any other area of their life, would you gently and lovingly call them back to the path that leads to life? We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your unending kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.